Welcome to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. All right. Hi, everybody. This is Jay Nathan. I got my uh, partners in crime here, Jeff Brunswick. What's up, Jeff? How's going And got Christy Falteruso. We are recording our weekly Q&A podcast um, and also doing it live on LinkedIn, which we started doing a few weeks ago. We've been doing it on Thursdays, but now we're going to do it on, uh, we're going to start doing this on Wednesdays moving forward at lunchtime on the east coast to see uh if if we can get um a little bit of participation from uh you know across both of the coasts in the u.s and maybe even some in europe so uh good to see you guys we're, we're gonna do today is um we're gonna go through some of the questions that are on uh or some of the topics that are being talked about uh on the gain grow retain community so um if you don't know what that is we launched gain grow retain um what jeff about two months ago now in an early adopter state and then we we brought you know, about 1500 additional people on, uh, after our early adopters, you know, helped us figure out how that was going to work. Um, and, uh, we brought them on about four weeks ago and it's just growing like a weed. So we have tons of people joining each day. And, um, so appreciate everybody that's joined and spreading the word there, but, um, we thought we'd just go through some of the topics on here because it's some really good stuff. Um, and you can get there if you want to just follow along, you can go on to gangrowretain.com and, uh, go from there. So we'll just jump right in guys. Um, the uh, the first one that I think we, we were stopping at when we were scrolling down the page was um, Matt Moskowski, our buddy over uh, uh, in Europe with SAP, was um, uh, asking about CSM teams and their role in product launch launches. So um, Jeff and Christy, I know you guys have some experience with that. So how, how do you think about that? Are, are your Christy, is your team launching something right now or have been involved in the launch at Better Cloud or anywhere else in, you know, how do you think about the role your team plays in that specifically? Yeah, so we like to think that our team plays a very active role in that um, and both the kind of the ideology of like, what are we creating? What is that product? What's the go to market look like? Uh, communication, the development of it, beta, limited release, and then GA. So it's, it's part of the entire life cycle, I think, of a product launch because obviously the customer feedback, if you're, if you're I don't say if you're doing it right, but I like to think that customer feedback is valuable in terms of product development and you know the innovation there so for us we've been involved in obviously using customer feedback to decide what products need to be developed right what does the future look like and what do we need to have to support those customers so even from that standpoint our team has been very involved so whether it's capturing feedback directly from customers during EBRs and socializing that back to product whether it is coming back from you know through a more programmatic approach of like customers who maybe who left or did not renew because there were product gaps or other competitors were innovating in different ways. So using all the data that we were collecting to determine what do we want to feed into the roadmap. So first, our team is playing a very active role in that, just feeding ideas into the product uh, organization to determine like, what are our customers, what are we hearing from our customers that they need to be successful? So that was, I think, step one in our involvement. The second one is obviously as our development teams are ready to launch a new product um, and we've got something we've built out, we're big advocates or I've been as a leader always big on, you know, beta testing um, or even a limited release program. If you don't want to go to beta and the difference there, the way that we've talked about it is that beta is maybe not fully developed yet, right? There's still some things you're ironing out, whereas limited release would be a more fully vetted product that is near completion, right? Like 99% of the way there. And you're just rolling it out to a smaller subset to collect any last feedback, or at least to just get a pulse of it or make sure that you're not breaking the entire customer ecosystem if you push something live that isn't working um and then going to ga right so being a part of that process so if we do beta finding the right customers who have wanted to obviously participate in a beta program to get access early access to these products who've got 
really good experience and ideas around what they expect to see. And they're kind of those thought leaders in the space who are going to help us make that a better product. Um, and then testing out LR and GA releases as well. And then I think also just our go-to-market messaging, right? So how are we communicating to customers the timeline of that communication? Um, I've seen that go very poorly as well. We try to make sure that our teams are communicating as early as we can, at least to teaser out to our customer base and say, here's what's coming and when, right? Like not months in advance, not like a product roadmap conversation, but rather, you know, we are going to be releasing this in the next week. Here's what you can anticipate, right? Because we also don't want to be disruptive to end user workflows and any processes that they have in place with regard to product. Um, so managing that communication, both at scale and also directly managing it in those one-on-one -on -one conversations that our CSMs are having with customers. And then also, you know, as things go live, we're responsible to be, you know, training and enabling them, right? Aligning the, the product that going live to their core business use cases, right? And their business needs. I'm not a big advocate of just saying to our customers, hey, we've got these 50 new things that were released with this product launch. Yeah. Right? Huge. Our customers don't care if they're only going to use two or three of them. We need to take a very tailored approach to like saying, hey, listen, we have all this stuff that went live. Take some time, read through it. But what I know of your business, these are the two that are going to be the most valuable to you, or these are the things that you've shared with me that you need to be successful. And then our team going really deep and helping drive adoption there. So I know that was a very long-winded response to a probably short question, but um, you know, I think what I was trying to articulate is that we are very involved, I think, in all phases of that. And I think customer success should be, is my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It, go ahead, Jeff. No, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd back that up. I mean, I think as you start thinking at these organizations about actually forming a product team, you know, where you've got kind of multi-function, multiple functions coming together to really think about, like you just mentioned, all the aspects of the development, go to market, um, how are, you know, what's the customer success, the support side of things, like everything. Like I think customer success should be right there, right alongside kind of product and product management as they, they think about, you know, what this looks like. Um, one of the things that you touched on, which I think we hear a lot about, and um, I want to give a shout out to Laura Lakawara. Hopefully I pronounced that right, but she's in the community. Uh, and she had mentioned, you know, there, she used the words kind of secondary stakeholder, uh, which I like that maybe terminology in the sense that, you know, we're not customer success initially shouldn't be the ones, you know, leading this charge and, and doing this, but should be a very close counterpart where, uh, and I think a couple of things you mentioned, she called out too. So early beta testing and interviews and feedback with customers, like we need, we need to be doing that like live in real time. We don't need to be, you know, sending surveys and doing that in emails. Like it should be like, Hey, we're having a regular call. Like, Hey, we're, you know, we're going to be in this because if we're developing a new product, like we need to have that type of, uh, that those parameters around there. And uh, so I think that was a really good one. The, the other point point that I like that you mentioned a lot is the verbiage and the way that customer success can really help marketing and sales. Um, I don't think we, even outside of a new product launch, I don't think we see this enough. We do not see customer success being asked, what are our customers currently talking about today? What are the challenges that they talk about? What's the verbiage? One of the best use cases to think about is using like a chorus or a gong or any of the recording software to go back and really start to, to listen in on those and sales and marketing leaders doing that. Um, and I think this is another use case in that as well, where, hey, we're going to bring something new to launch. Like customer success, who better to really think about what's our customer currently going through? How is this going to affect their current processes, the people that they already have in place, like all the ancillary points to launching a product, like customer success knows, and we should be leveraging that. So I think that's just another uh, point that is, is really big to think about is um, how we're using messaging and thinking about the, the change in process and the change in, uh, in how we're going to really maybe form different behaviors for our customers um, as they're doing that. Yeah, uh, this is one of the, I've seen, you know, we always talk about cross-functional things being really hard in a SaaS company, right? And that's where you're, you're liable to probably make the biggest mistakes in terms of engagement with your customers um, and the customer experience. Product launches are, in my experience, notoriously the worst because 
you've got a product team who sometimes, unless they're very thoughtful about it, will act unilaterally and not include people. I love Christy that you mentioned, like it's, it starts at the inception of the ideas and what we decide to build next, um, that, that customer success is really, you know, getting involved and influencing that because they have a ton of information to provide there and, and insight into the customer base. Um, but the, there's a function in more mature companies called commercialization, which is really this whole idea of bringing together all the different functions that it takes to deliver a new product, the implementation methodology, the way we're going to communicate it about, about it to the existing customers, the way we're going to position it to new customers, um, the way we're going to capture feedback um, as we go, not just in the early stages, but as we continue to learn, yeah. the product is not going to be done when you first ship it, right? And so that's probably like the, the, the second biggest mistake that I've personally been involved in in these launches, whether it's on the product side, I was on the product side for a while, or on, on customer success or anywhere else, is that we ship it and the, everybody's excited that we ship the product, but now the real work begins of making sure that it works for the customers. You know, so it's just like, there, there's a, a company-wide effort involved in launching a product. And a lot of times, Older companies haven't been through that process lately because they launched a product years ago. They got very successful on it when they were all working and collaborating together when it was natural to do that. But once you get into these, you know, silos and departments, then it gets a little harder to bring those things together. So, um, yeah, definitely a role for, for customer success to play. All right. Any, anything else for you well, guys to add like, to that? On one thing, Jay, that I thought was really important, right? Like this go to market with like this MVP product that you have, right? You get a good product, it goes to market but then it needs to be iterative, right? Like you build something that yep. has a lot of functionality. It could be even really meaty, right? But then there's like the depth and breadth of what that product actually needs to look like over time and that continued innovation. So you talked about continuing to get that feedback, but I also think that in customer success where I've seen us struggle a bit is where product is on to the next thing, right? It's almost a set it and forget it thing where we feel like we've got an MVP, maybe we did a hot fix release to like fix any like bugs or anything that was there, but then we don't revisit it, right? There's no continuum that's actually taking the additional feedback to make how organizations really thrive with a particular product. I think that innovation over time, I don't know. I've seen that that's been a challenge of ours in customer success. And at least organizations that I've worked at is okay, great. We put something live and then we're on to the next thing, the next really cool shiny thing that our customers are asking for. And we almost forget that like, it's not done yet. Totally. Exactly. Um, all right. Hey, Natalie White, how are you? Good to see you. She uh, made a comment about uh, what you said about a consultative approach to advising clients on new features is so important. And then Karthik, what's up, Karthik? Good to see you too. Uh, appreciate your shout out there. And Phyllis, our good friend Phyllis from the Gain, Grow, Retain community. She says, also keep in mind the CSM team is are generally the ones uh, that, that bring product enhancement requests based on the voice of customers. So naturally they should, should be involved. Absolutely right. Um, cool. Um, Anything else on the, on that topic? I mean, you know, we made it sound really, really simple, but like what, what's the, uh, I, I guess, you know, the, maybe the other thing to stress here is that we, we, we talk a lot about the, the relationship between product management and customer success and how we even talked a couple of weeks ago about how some product management teams actually own the customer success. Like the, the product leader owns responsibility for customer success in a couple of limited cases that we, we found. Um, but it's just such an important relationship. So that's probably, the big takeaway here is go focus on that relationship because they're the one controlling the product releases and getting new product in the market. Um, all right, cool. This next one is, is good. So Susan Ulrich is a, is an old colleague of mine from, uh, from the Blackbot days. So good to see you, Susan, on the, on the community here. I don't know. I don't, I don't expect she's watching this right now, but she had a really interesting question about transformation from a bookings based 
business, so very transactional sales, to a customer success focused company. And I mean, we, we probably spend more time thinking about and talking about this subject than almost anything else we talk about, but I'm turning you guys loose. So Jeff, why don't you lead us off on this one? How, how, do, you, how do you change that mindset? Yeah, I think the, I mean, change management, you know, is the, the uh, consulting side of me coming out, right? Where you, you actually, I mean, it has to start with the mindset shift and it has to start from the top, the cliche things like you need, like you really need the executive ownership there. But um, I think maybe one, going actually back to an episode we talked about maybe a week or two ago um, that Christy mentioned a lot. And I think where we always like to start is going to open up conversations with other departments and other leaders around the organization about the education of like what customer success is doing, why it's becoming success, like why it's becoming important, um, what the industry and like, what are we seeing in the industry? What are we seeing in these communities that we're all involved in? Like, what are the conversations that are happening around, around successful SaaS companies? So I think generally where we always like to start is around that education layer and um, not approaching it as if like uh, you're trying to force everybody to change, right? But like naturally just putting information out there, trying to educate and trying to, to get people to make their own decision to move and to say, hey, we really need to be shifting our mindset. We need to be shifting our goals. And I think this is something that we've also seen not be, you can't do this in a quarter. You can't do this in two quarters. Like this is a, hey, um, I think we heard one time, right? Like, hey, in 2021, I think we heard this earlier last quarter from one of our, our clients. Um, hey, in 2021, we're going to start to shift like the major KPIs of the business. And it's not going to be, they're not going to be focused on new business and some of the, the things that uh, maybe it's traditionally been. We're actually going to sh shift our focus into um, net retention and some other aspects of the business that uh, we feel like are going to be important. So I think, you know, this is going to be a, a big moving uh, ship. Like it's going to be like moving the Titanic. Um, hopefully it doesn't hit the iceberg, but hopefully we can shift and, and actually make the, the divergence here. The big thing, like I mentioned though, is you need the executive leadership. Um, and I always like to start with education. So one of the things that we always like to do is bring in a perspective from the outside for uh, customer centric behaviors. And I like Christy, before we started recording for our live session here, you had mentioned, you know, you, it's really hard to go find a customer centric organization that does the action that is through and through. Um, and after doing some research, I'd say we agree. And so what we've tried to do though is say, hey, from the organizations that we've seen do this really well, top 90% that do this, or top 10%, excuse me, um, we've pulled out four or five behaviors that we like to think about and they relate back to customer success, they relate back to this education factor, but it's things like, you know, what does the customer engagement and journey look like throughout the entirety? What's the actual life cycle? How are we tailoring their engagements? How are we thinking about customer health and being proactive? Um, so behaviors that you want to start to see naturally um, come through the organization. So I think that's where we always like to start is around that education piece and um, some of those customer centric behaviors. And to me, the, the reason why we brought that up is I think that is the starting point for at least the change management. Um, and even before that starting point, there's another starting point where the executive team says, hey, in 2021, we're gonna start changing our goals and we're gonna make this a focus of the executive team. Christy, I'll let you add on. So you know how I feel about like education enablement and I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. I would say like, if I'm gonna go to like the very, very first step, I'm gonna ask why. Why, does it, why is it at this point that this company now wants to pivot? Is it because our ICP has changed? Is it because we have now, you know, we're now a mature organization and contracts are now coming up for renewal and now all of a sudden like there's a trigger that is, is starting to get people to think differently. Like there is a why behind that. And I would say like, I think it's important to understand the why. So that way you can also as a company rally around that to then drive those motions, right? Like I think the why is so critical and I think it's also how you're gonna get more buy-in. Um, and then also it's gonna feed into the training and the enablement. But like what I've found with, you know, any of the change management I've had to drive, educating people on the why and like aligning on the why has always been so critical. And then kind of feeding in all those other components to that um, 
that obviously will then dictate your strategy and your execution. So I'm going to say like, that's cool. Like, yes, that you want to understand how you're getting from, you know, this transactional motion to this customer centric organization, but why is it important to your company's either longevity or their immediate success that you go and make that pivot and that shift and then try to feed into the, okay, now that we know that, well, what are the things that are going to actually make that a reality? And then you can start going down that path of the enablement and education. Yeah, that, I was going to go there too. Like, I, I literally wrote it down. Why is this so important? And <laughs> right. It, if if you think about what's actually happening when you're going, so a lot of companies are going from selling software transactionally, meaning we talk, you, you sold a license, right? A perpetual license, which means you gave me that license. You basically used to ship me the software when I was at Blackbud when I first joined. We used to ship CDs. That's how we recognize revenue. We actually had to physically send it in the mail. And and then that's over, right? And then you provide support and you collect 20% maintenance year over year. But the whole economic model flips when you go to SaaS and subscription. And this is the part that if the transact the leaders of the old school transactional software business is nothing wrong with them. Like it's great business, right? We all came up through that. But if you don't understand that the economics are changing on you drastically, then you're going to miss a big part of the, at least the business why behind it. So there will come a point in time where you will not be able to be successful as a company unless you maintain a customer for two to three, four, five years, right? Because if you go look at the Pacific Crest annual private SaaS survey, it will tell you that it costs 1.13 times annual recurring revenue to go get a new dollar event new logo of annual recurring revenue, right? So that means if you have a $50,000 deal, it basically costs you 56,000 in sales and marketing to go get it. You don't make any money until year two. And by the way, that's not enough to sustain you. You got to make it to year three, year four. That is the business imperative, right? That is the why. And then how do you do that? Well, you embrace your customers, right? If you want your customers to stay, you have to embrace them. And that's where this whole idea of customer success comes in, right? Um, so yeah, I, I think the, the, part of the education is, and, and then I'll go back to what Jeff said, the, the leader at the top has to believe it, right? They have to believe it and understand it and want to pursue it in that way. And then, you know, once you, once you get that head, once you get your, your leadership team's head around it, then you can disseminate that to the rest of the organization. So Christy, yeah. is your, is your company, was it transactional historically and then it moved to more of a SaaS model or? Yeah. So because there's a hardware, yeah, because there's a hardware component to what we did, right? Like the, the, the subscription, we'll call it, right, was really tied, it was put in place to amortize the cost of the hardware. So there's this amortization that happened to happen, so you're not paying for the hardware up front. Like a um, lease. Correct, right? And so then customers would go month to month. And after that, it was kind of like, okay, if you have enough customers that are there month to month, that's fine, right? But there's, there's inherent risk there because my customers could leave at any time, right? So now getting into this like SaaS motion where it's less about the hardware, the hardware is a means to an end. Um, mm -hmm. It's really about the software and the data that you're going to be capturing there. And our commitment to innovation should be equal to your commitment to the partnership, right? And that long-term commitment Ooh, through a subscription model. I like model. that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what we talk about, right? Like you're committing to us, we're committing to you. So to make it mutually beneficial, we're going to continue to invest in innovation and software development that's going to help you drive your business forward, right? Drive it into the future continue to invest in that ROI outcome. Um, but so if you think about it, like that was the, that was the real trigger for us, or at least for me, as I came in to say like, no, our customers need to be in a subscription because it is a mutually beneficial relationship. So even beyond the cost of the hardware, which I could talk about warranties and all these other things that are like, you'll get as a part of a subscription, but the real value there is the commitment to innovation and growth. Yeah. The, the other interesting point, I think you brought up a little earlier, uh, Jay, too, is thinking about, and I think where Christy's going as well, is thinking about where the company is from a maturity, st uh, maturity standpoint and their funding as you start thinking about the why. 
because there are a ton of, like if you think about a, a SaaS business right now that's coming up nine times out of 10, this is not a blanket statement, but nine times out of 10, they're gonna come with private equity or venture capital backed funding. And that changes the economics of the entire model because they're all about getting to a growth point and they're trying to scale the business in order to sell it in a time horizon um, and try and maximize, you know, maximize the dollars within a window. Essentially, they're not trying to maximize lifetime value. They're trying to maximize lifetime value in a three-year window or five-year window, not yeah. for infinity. And so I think that is also the other, as you figure out the why of your company is also trying to sit there and understand from the executive team standpoint, what's our funding? How is this really changing the course of where our business is going? And are we getting out of the growth at all, all costs mode, uh, which I think a lot of companies were in for maybe a five-year stretch over the last five or six years. Um, and now they, you know, they're starting to realize, well, we need to be a little bit more economical with the money. We need to think about our marketing and sales costs. And, and so this is, I think that's another big driver as you figure out the why is, What's the funding behind our company? Who's sitting on the executive? Who's sitting on the board? Um, because that's really going to change. Like, if you're a customer success leader, that's going to change the the dynamics of how you can help do the the change management as well. If I have board members that are are in the board talking about, you know, why we're making this shift, how they've seen it at other companies, like I'm going to go pull that person. I'm going to go ask them to come into, you know, speak at our company for certain reasons because it's like you have an advocate. And I think that's another thing to think about is you, you know, might be in your company and it's privately owned business and you've got a, a board is, is how they can be impactful in this scenario as well. And thinking about the change management and what's happening um, with the funding. Yep. Totally. Um, Jay Lal said, or I hope I said your name right, uh, Jay there, but um, back, back to your point, Christy, start with why he referenced Simon Sinek's book, start with why, which is one of my, one of my favorites. I literally keep like four copies of it so I can just hand it out. Um, and then uh, Natalie, if you don't stop the leaky bucket, you're not going to be able to increase revenue. You can't grow. So yep. such a, such a, a good point. Um, awesome. Okay. So I think we got time for maybe one more topic. And um, so just a real quick, you know, shameless plug, like all the things we're talking about are on gangrowretain.com and it's all publicly available. So you can just, you can go there and you can scroll down the page and you can see these things, but we'd love for you to register and contribute to them as well. But um, well, Alex Tran, he actually is with Gainsight. Um, he posted about building out his tech touch program and he did exactly what we want people to do on gang grow retain, which is like, we call it show your work, like literally show us how you're doing stuff. So people can get ideas and, and real tactical. There's a lot of like high level how to kind of stuff floating around in the CS space right now from, you know, various blog posts and, you know, we're guilty of it too. We, we do it too, but um, like, this is really good stuff. So, um, He's building out his tech touch model, what they call tech touch, which is basically, you know, I, I like to call it scaled human touch um, because it's not really a, a machine talking to somebody. It's us talking to people through digital means, but he's talking about his support model and his, his customer life cycle and the types of touch points that he has along the way. Um, so Christy, have you guys started building out your digital program to, to sort of touch your, your long tail customers, the low maintenance kind of customers that you maintain? At, so uh, until it's just yeah so we're in the infancy of that program and it is something that is so top of mind for us because in full transparency right like we've got 3500 customers that we're supporting and i have what feels like to me at least in my history the longest long tail that ever was um so i've got a ton of my customers that that do fit that model right and so you know the the first thing we did obviously was like build out that customer journey and that experience what we want it to look like regardless of segment and and what resources we're going to staff behind it so we're just now at a place where we've built it for the ones where we do have a human element driving those activities and those engagements and so now we're starting to entertain well what does that look like right what are the right triggers for certain tasks and activities um full transparency i'm also even thinking of more of a concierge model approach to that book so that way we do have some resources uh, i have three people that support that long tail team right now 
And so what I'm trying to do outside of the, the renewal, which obviously does require more human element, we don't have a way to fully automate that today, is actually even just provide an alias to these customers that if they need something, that there's someone who's always there. And it's more of a like kind of the same way support queue would work through Zendesk, right? Like a ticket comes in, a request comes in and having one of those three resources service that customer in that timely, that timely manner, but really just trying to think about from the customer journey standpoint, right? What are all the triggers? What are the activities? How do we automate that? What does it look like? The sequencing, the timing. I mean, it is such a, it's a, it's very, um, there's a lot of resources to like create that, right? Because you do have to be so thoughtful about like, okay, if this, then what? Um, because to really have it, you're not just doing these isolated moments and times of these like little droplets of stuff that happens. It really should feel like a prescriptive journey. So if the customer, if you're sending the customer something and they respond back with something else, great. Okay. Well, what is the next thing that should happen as a result of that? So just the design, I think for something to work well, at least the way that I'd like it to, could take a lot of time for us to build it out. So we are in the infancy of like whiteboarding out what that will look like. Um, the build will obviously use Gainsight and Journey Orchestrator to like, from the technology standpoint to, to probably drive a lot of that, as well as Pardot, which we're using for our email tool within our, our marketing stack, our Salesforce suite, so. Yeah, I'd say step one is to buy the tool and then step two is to have the resources, or actually it might be in reverse order, have the resources mm -hmm. in terms of human capital and then buy the tool. Um, no, first also, you have to design what it looks like. You have to have a plan. Yeah, you have to have yeah, a plan. Yeah, yeah. And then you have the tool. Yeah. Scrap, <laughs> scrap anything I just said. What but, do we say all uh, the time? Make the plan first, Jeff. I would uh, scrap that. I, all I meant to say is that. Like, call you out, man. I just meant you can't buy the tool and have it work. Like, it's just, it's not like you're going to go, like, I think we see that all the time. Like, you, you don't just buy the tool and then you just say, hey, I'm going to plug in my contacts and then it just like runs itself, right? Like, it's, yeah. that's what I meant. Um, but yes, there's, there are things you have to go do. But I, I, I just think the other um, piece that, is really overlooked as you start thinking about, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago during a question we had about hiring, Christy, where you you mentioned yourself in thinking about that long tail, it's really starting to become a little bit like customer marketing. Current customer marketing yep. becomes a, a really big role in that. And so finding somebody who is kind of part marketing and has um, has done you know marketing campaigns, has written content, has has done this aspect of content marketing before, I think is huge. Like I think it's underrated right now. I don't think people in the CS are really thinking about it. They're They're trying to go find their next when they think about that role, they're trying to go find their next sales operations person who can just run a tool. Um, and I don't mean that in negatively to the sales ops people, but it's very different to just go um, develop a process and run a tool because in this scenario, we actually have communication that needs to be sent to the client. It needs to be um, authentic communication that we're writing that has valuable content that is like actually driving our customers to want to engage with us. And that is just inherently different than what I think a lot of sales operations folks or other operations functions are doing. And so I think that's a big miss when people start thinking about this. Um, but one of the questions that I think we get asked a lot, and I'm curious um, to hear maybe Christy from your perspective and Jay, I want you to chime in too, is um, do you tell customers that they are in this segment? That's the number one question I think we get. Like, do you, hey, Mr. Customer, you're in our tech touch segment and this is what your journey is going to look like. Like, do you, you know, Chris, do you have an opinion on that? Are you going to take that approach or have you taken that in the past? Like, how do you inform these customers about what their journey is about to look like? Yeah, so I'm, I'm big on transparency, right? Because the other thing, the other alternative is my customer says, I don't want that or I need more great. We have to, as a business decide, do we want to make that investment or does that customer want to make the investment in having our team drive that, you know, have a resource there, staff behind it. And not saying that they're going to pay for it directly because I don't, we're not currently in a position where we're selling our services model. Like CS is not a, a skew right now for us. Um, I don't, I don't foresee that as being part of our structure here at IntelliShift, but I've seen other customers and companies do it really well. Um, 
So for us, yes, we are transparent, right? Like we have slides that we actually talk to each salesperson or sales team that supports a specific cohort or segment, right? Like they've got slides that I've developed that actually talks very prescriptively about what the customer journey will look like for them. And so we don't talk in the language of, you know, tech touch or automation, right? But it is very, it does outline what their journey and what their experience will be, right? So there is, you know, self-guided onboarding program, right? Like we use, we use nice language to describe what the reality is, but it is self-guided, right? We're going to provide you with all the tools and resources. We've got this knowledge base and this repository that's going to help ensure your success long-term, right? Like that's how I'm going to pitch your self-guided onboarding. From there, right, you're going to have access to our technical support. You'll have access to blah, 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 right? Like we, we talk about it in such a way that they don't feel like they're not getting a lot, right? It should, because they actually are getting a ton. They're getting a ton. It's just the means in which they're getting it is different. So we don't ever discredit by saying that you're getting less than or it's this tech touch model. But we also are very clear on like when you will have human engagement, right? Like you will have somebody who will reach out to you on a quarterly basis to, to ensure that you are successful in driving that adoption. We will automate reports that will be generated and sent to you to give you visibility into your overall usage and areas of opportunity, right? Like, so I think there's a way to say it that doesn't make anyone feel like, wow, okay, that sucks, um, right? So it's, you're going to position it well. But yeah, I do believe in being transparent because on the flip side of it, my customers who are getting a ton of resources from us, I want, I want to be able to talk a lot about that as well, right? Like if we're staffing an account team behind it, or in some of my customers, it's a one-to-one ratio. It's one customer to one CSM, and we're not charging for that, but it's to ensure their success. I want to be able to talk about that too. So I just feel like being transparent and being honest in what things are and are not has always worked for me. Um, but I'm also like an honesty is the best policy kind of gal. So I had a mentor once, a former boss years ago that gave me this equation expectations minus delivery equals satisfaction. And that's always stuck with me because it applies in every facet of your life, but it also applies to your customer relationships and the expectations that you set. So going back to something Jeff said earlier, this is why copywriting and the way you, the way you present your solutions to your customer around how you're gonna, what the customer journey looks like are, is such an important thing to, to do well because you get a chance to set those expectations and you really only get that chance once right so you have to do that early in the sales process and I think you know something else you said too Christy which I just latched onto is everybody gets I tell this to my kids all the time you don't all get the same things you get what you need right and and every customer is going to get what they need customer success at the end of the day is for our customers benefit but you know the way we traditionally think about customer success it is a role that plays a part to help drive our business by being very customer friendly and customer centric. Right. And so it really is for our own company's benefit. If there are other services that a company needs, then that's a services or a support packaging thing that we can actually go out and create a package that provides a higher level of support or an increased SLA service level agreement, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, a, a consulting package that we can add on that gives you a health check or some kind of, you know, assistance that you don't get out of the box, so to speak. So um, I think there's a, there's, there's a lot of room for, for doing both. The one thing that I um, typically see missing in a digital kind of program, I always avoid the word tech touch. I don't, I don't like it. Um, so I do my best, but um, it, the long tail program is how do you think about the success plan? So everybody, everybody sends out usage and adoption metrics, but keep in mind that executives who receive those emails aren't as interested in usage and adoption and utilization and how many licenses and this and that they're concerned with their outcomes. So I'm really um, passionate about this idea of being able to collect 
from a standard list of objectives, right? Maybe you do a survey at the beginning of the relationship as the customer comes from sales. Maybe the sales team fills it in. Maybe the customer fills it in directly as part of their onboarding flow. And they tell you, I'm trying to uh, reduce costs associated to recruiting, or I'm trying to increase lead flow to my sales. Whatever your solution does, right? There's a preset list of objectives that a customer has, and then find ways to map the usage of the solution to that objective so that every time you go back and talk to them through an automated touch, you can actually use that as their why, right? For why they bought the solution and how you're, how you're supporting it. So I have yet to see a really great solution for that. I know people are doing it, you know, with, with marketing automation tools and survey tools, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm looking to, to find ways to test out. So challenge accepted. Let me tell you what we're doing. Um, so we are actually, we built out basically for every single product that we offer. Um, we have basically said, okay, there are two to three core use cases for each product. So if you're a customer and you buy X, you are then opting in to say, okay, well, which one of these is the most important to me to start with, right? Like this doesn't have to be, and then again, this is not for my top tier customers who have all the world's problems. Right. This is for like right. my corporate to my small business accounts, right? Like we're going to help you help yourselves. Great. Tell us which of these use cases feels the most applicable to the challenge you're trying to solve for. And then we have built out a playbook that is also living as a success plan and gain site for us that says, here are the steps that you will need to take either in your organization, because some of it is change management, like change and create a policy or do something different or go pull some data, um, as well as the things you need to do in our product. And we try to limit it to about anywhere from like 10 to 15 steps. And these become like your milestones. And so the engagement that we will have with the customers is solely based on that. So we can actually even drive the metrics, the, the product usage and all that that correlates back to it to automate that. So we have not finalized it yet, but we are definitely headed that direction, Jay, because I do agree with you. Like there has to be a way to help them not just use the platform, right. But to actually achieve the goals that they set out for when they purchased. Um, and so that's what we're doing to scale that. We're also even using those playbooks and success plans in all of our segments because wherever it's applicable, right? Like your customer's buying product. If we've basically got a roadmap to say, here's the different core use cases that we've seen our customers tell us are most important as it correlates back to that product. And here are the 10 to 15 steps. Maybe in my strategic accounts segment, we go and add in an additional dozen steps because they've got complexity that we haven't thought about. But at least we're giving them the tools and roadmap to say, here's what success could look like. And this is its simplest form, but let's go and you're going to tell me what's unique about your business and we'll, we'll kind of lean in and craft that together. So we're really excited. We're actually in the process of developing these. We're going to start our build out and game site next week, but um, this is how we've been designing it so that it does a lot of what you just talked about, Jay. Very cool. That. That's uh, awesome. And the, I think the wrapper of, of like what I would think about that too, Christy, and I think I'm just highlighting this because I don't want this to be uh, like, like go instead is the fact that you're thinking about the value of the content that you can deliver and like how that is going to actually be used across multiple segments. So like if I create valuable content, I can use it for all of my customers and oh, I just yeah. have to generate differently to like make sure that they can receive it in a way that's going to be valuable to them. So. Awesome. All right. So it's top of the hour. I've got a call in two minutes. I'm sure you guys do too. Um, thanks to Michael Patton, Phyllis Wyndham, Jonas Richard, Todd Ilberg, and Natalie White, who actually I have a call with Natalie right after this. So, <laughs> so she's watching her. actually to make sure that you wrap up on time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> probably. But uh, all right, cool. So this is our new time, noon Eastern time. Well, noon-ish. We say noon-ish. Yeah. So big like 12, 15, 12, 20. We'll go about 30 or 40 minutes every week. Um, try to do it right in the middle of the week. Catch people maybe during lunch. Um, not that lunch is a thing anymore because I, you know, it's, it's, you know, everything's COVID time. So um, but anyway, good to see you all. Thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes, Christy. We'll see you next week. Bye Jeff. guys. I'll talk to you soon. 
Hey guys, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.